is Friday, October 11th, 2019. Time for episode 95 of the Barnhart Podcast. It is Amazon Synod Week, and welcome to the jungle. I have not been paying attention to Catholic Twitter or Catholic news or Catholic um, current events for the last week. I've been focusing on uh, cross-platform multi-threading issues all week, and uh, when I looked at Twitter earlier tonight, I thought, I'm happy I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, not much happened. I mean, within four days, the anti-pope managed to engage in the public open worship of demonic deities inside the Vatican and and publicly the the public profession of his denial of the divinity of Christ was was finally made on Wednesday and so yeah i mean you know just another just another average week welcome to the jungle we got fun and games as as you say no biggie nothing nothing to see nothing much happened move move along okay so, so i i wasn't following catholic news but i I did check Drudge Report every once in a while, and I did see some comment about, did the Pope de- deny the divinity of Christ? And it got me to thinking that, you know, if you're going to have a synod where you're going to have all kinds of nonsense going on, uh, female deacons, uh, priestless masses, I, I, I'm just speaking from memory here from two months ago, of all the things that were said that were going to be happening at the synod, wouldn't it be convenient to have a a uh, interview come out where I don't know the presumed top-ranking prelate in the church questions the divinity of Christ, and then I don't know four days later, one of his people says, "No, he didn't say that." And then maybe nine days later, uh, the the junior bishop in white says, "No, I never said that." Never mind actually paying attention to the synod happening. Let's pay attention to Scalfari's stupid articles. Well, I mean. I, I don't know to what level the, the chess playing is going on. Here's what I do know, and people are asking me about this. Scalfari is works in tandem. They're working together on this. Um, and and I, I do assume, yes, and I, I'm fairly confident that the timing for these, the release, and this is now the ninth, this is number nine, the ninth interview that um, Scalfari has released, um, that the timing of all this, that it's coordinated, that it is a concerted effort, that there's there's thought behind it, and that, yeah, I, I absolutely assume that word came from Casa Santa Marta and from anti-Pope Bergoglio. Yes, drop this now. Drop this now for whatever reason. Now, there's something to remember about this. Um, and again, email box filling up and seeing, you know, people, com boxes filling up and so forth. And again, a lot of people are freaking out. Guys, stop freaking out. Stop being scandalized. First of all, you could see this coming a mile away. It's obvious. Anti-Pope Bergoglio has made crystal clear that he does not believe in Christ's divinity. He denies all of his miracles. He denies the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. Um, you know, on and on. This is this has been coming for a long time. It's obvious. And I wrote a I wrote an essay in 2014, which I relinked to this week. Um, it's one of the most heavily cited, referenced, syndicated, reposted, um, excerpted things that I have ever written. And it is the famous and ding language alert. Um, it's the famous, infamous essay. 
they don't actually believe any of that Catholic bullshit essay. And, you know, of course, that's me speaking um, sarcastically. But the point of it is, is that if you could get these people, um, and I put Bergoglio, and frankly, the vast, 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 vast majority of the Roman Curia, as it was prophesied, Rome would lose the faith. It has. If you could get the vast majority of those people with two or three cocktails in them and kind of backed into a quiet corner at a cocktail party somewhere, you lean in and say to them, listen, you don't, you don't actually believe in the divinity of Christ, do you? No, of course not. L- listen, you don't, you don't actually believe this nonsense about bread and wine being turned into the physical substance of, of God, do you? No, of course not. Of so course when not. Francis and Scalfari have an interview, is there a two-drink minimum before they start talking? It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and in all, in all seriousness, um, Bergoglio is known to be a heavy drinker and a heavy drinker at lunch. That he, I mean, I know people who... Long story short, I know people who have been and had lunch in the Casa Santa Marta, and apparently Bergoglio is, is it is not uncommon for his table to sit and have a four-hour lunch with just bottle after bottle of wine flowing. And you can also tell by how much weight he's gained, how fat he is, um, that doing that several times a week will make you very, very, very fat, especially if you're an old man. And um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Bergoglio goes and gets lit um, and then decides, you know, in his in his lit state, hey, I'm going to go call Scalfari and I'm going to go talk to Scalfari. But again, it's obvious Bergoglio doesn't believe any of this. Don't be freaked out. Don't be scandalized. First and foremost, guys, he's not the Pope. Okay, that is if if you understand that you it is it's not possible for you to be scandalized by this. What does scandalize mean? It means when somebody does something that a causes you to lose your faith or b incites you to commit sin as well. So someone else commits a sin and then you think to yourself, well, they did it. So I think I'm going to do it too. It must be okay. Blah, 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 whatever. Those are the two categories of scandal. Lose your faith or incite you to commit sin. This guy is an anti-pope. It is obvious that he isn't even Catholic. That's why in the Matthew 17, 20 intention that we have been praying now, guys, can you believe it? We've been doing that for two years now, every day, begging God, what is petition number three in the Matthew 17, 20 intention that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision. I'm dead serious about that. I've been dead serious about it from the beginning. This guy isn't even Catholic. He's not the Pope. Why are you scandal? You shouldn't be scandalized. In fact, again, not being facetious here. If we're looking at this and laying odds on whether or not Bergoglio is, in fact, the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, which if he isn't, 
the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, wherever he is, has got to be pissed off because Bergoglio has stolen his entire playbook. Either What's that left? or he's extremely happy that he that Bergoglio has set such a high threshold that he can fly under the radar. Perhaps. Perhaps, or maybe just Bergoglio is the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, and this is the run-up to the big show. That These questions are seriously for real on the table. All right, given all that, why does anything that Bergoglio says or does, why is that scandalizing anybody? Because people are starting from the false base premise that Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ on earth. And that combination of things does not compute. And it's freaking people out because they're starting from the false base premise. And then it leads to, well, either Jesus was a liar, which means Jesus isn't God. Vatican I was wrong. The whole church has been a complete mistake. And people are. People are losing their faith. Or the more subtle version of it, the Eastern Orthodox were right all along. I'm going to go join the schismatic Eastern Orthodox, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to stop going to mass. Um, we've got we got people all over Trattyland talking about that, and we need to address that. Um, oh, the um, Home Alone Catholics? Home Alone Catholics. And the other thing that I've been seeing around... Um, there are the two main priestly um, societies communities. Well, there's three. The three main priestly societies in the church right now that do that are all about the trad mass are obviously the Fraternity of Saint Peter, the FSSP. Um, the next one, which is smaller, but um, I mean, there's still quite a few parishes in North America, is the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest, and then the third is, of course, the SSPX. The Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest, um, they have a special permission from Rome through Ecclesia Day and all that to at every low mass, they have optional permission to pray um, special propers for the Pope, the pro pontifice prayers for the Pope. So at every collect, secret, and post-communion, they have the option at low mass to add prayers specifically for the Pope. Now, the collect and the post-communion are said aloud, so you can hear them aloud. The secret is said silently, which is why it's called the secret. Ha ha ha. Um, and so you can't hear that. And of course, you can never hear um, the Te Igitur, which is the Roman canon that in which the Pope is the name of the Pope is commemorated, you can't hear that because that's always said silently. However, you can hear if you're at one of these masses, probably an Institute of Christ the King Mass, where the Pro Pontifice propers are being said, you can hear um, at the collect and you can hear at the post communion the name of the Pope being said. And of course, there's they are saying um, the name of Francis at these. There are now people saying, I'm not going to go to an Institute of Christ the King Mass anymore because I can't stand to hear the name of, of Francis being uttered on the altar during the Mass during these prayers. People 
knock it off. Stop that. Listen to me. First of all, there are numerous priests who are thoroughly uncomfortable with this and have been for a long time. There are priests who, in all of the priestly societies, who um, have not been commemorating or want to stop urgently commemorating, quote unquote, Francis. Okay, so just hold on, hold on. The second thing is, is it's it's like anything else. It's like it's exactly like at the Teijiter. If you're at a mass and and those propers are being prayed. And for me, example, I bounce around. So, you know, Super Nerd and I, we're both kind of ecumenical trads and we'll, we'll go, we are, we go to mass at multiple different locations with various people, et cetera, et cetera. As long as it's the trad mass, great. Okay. So what I do when on the occasions that I happen to be at an Institute of Christ the King mass, and I have heard, I have heard those, those, um, propers said for the Pope, what I do is exactly the same thing that I do as at the Teijiter during the canon. I correct it under my breath. I don't make a scene. Nobody hears anything. I say, he's not the Pope, Benedict. And then what I say to our Lord is, if there is any temporal punishment due to that priest for commemorating the wrong man right now at that, at that proper in this prayer, give it to me. Give me the temporal punishment if it will help. If it will help, give it to me. Our Lord knows that if you say that and you're serious and you mean it, that, that you are for real, for real, invested in getting this situation fixed and that that's some pretty serious prayer right there and and you know i've been sharing i've been sharing with you the updates of my friend eric who passed away yeah. uh, when, when we recorded the last podcast i mentioned that he was not yet metaphysically qualified for the requiem mass he is now and mm -hmm. he he passed away and gave such a heroic example of the faith that is you know i i hope to go out that way yeah, he he had he had cancer. It from a from a worldly physical sense, it was grotesque, painful, and horrible. But um, he offered everything to Jesus. Yep. And it, it's just an immense grace that I've known him, that I've been a semi-professional colleague in a couple of senses, um, that I've known his his wife since before he ever met her. Um, online, yeah, whatever. Long mm -hmm. story. Tradyland um, is a very small place. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It is, yes, <laughs> it is very, very much so. And there's a whole lot of people who have gotten to know me through this podcast and you, uh, because Tradyland is a small place. Mm -hmm. But the, the point is that that um, actually, I forgot I was going with this. Um, the, it, the the taking on of sufferings and purgation. Yes, and, I mean, and in, yeah, you, you God will take you up on that if you're serious about it. Yeah, and. You know, don't take it lightly. I mean, Anne says this, but be serious. And, yeah, I mean, it's okay. It, so if you if you aren't in a place right now where you could handle, okay, it's it's kind of it's easy to casually say, you know, put this put 
put this on my ticket, put this on my bill for purgatory. So, I mean, at this point, who knows how much, <laughs> how many billion years I'm going to be in purgatory. But you know what? The thing about purgatory quickly is, is that if you make it through your particular judgment and you wind up in purgatory, dude, you're in, you're in, you're going to, you are going to achieve the beatific vision. You're in. And so the, the poor souls that are in purgatory, they're going through this, this agonizing purgation, but they have this incredible hope and in a, in a weird sense, a joy because they know, they absolutely know for a total certainty that they're in, they're going to spend all of eternity in the beatific vision. You're, you're good. So whether, whether you're in purgatory for, you know, 60 seconds, like who was it who I think, I think Teresa of Avila after she died was said to have appeared to one of the the little sisters that was in her community and said to the little sister, I was in purgatory for 60 seconds because I once made the sign of the cross in a casual, unthinking way. And it was the worst 60 seconds. It was, it was beyond any sort of agony that you could ever, ever experience on earth, but it was necessary. And I mean, that should give you pause right there. Um, but there's that there's that suffering and who knows whether you're in purgatory for 60 seconds like Teresa of Avila or if you're in purgatory for you know until literally the end of time and there are people there are poor souls it's said who will be in purgatory until the end of time and then and only then will the last human soul in purgatory um be sprung and and then purgatory will be empty and everyone will either be in the beatific vision or in some domain of hell. Um, and, but what it could also be, if you say this to our Lord, if you start taking on and volunteering to take on this temporal punishment, it could be in this world. It could be in this life. And, you know, a, a weak example is I made a kind of a weird, weird for me post on my blog. I don't, I don't, think that my personal day-to-day -day existence is particularly interesting and I try not to bore people with things like that but I did have I've had this thing where I bought this soap and it's been giving me and I've turned out I'm allergic to this soap and I've had this rash and it kind of reminded me of Job and I mean I didn't have boils but it was it was enough of a rash that it's just it's really unpleasant and I just kind of started thinking about you know what happens if and you know I'm getting ready to turn 40 what happens if, you know, I've been asking for, for all these temporal punishments on these instances where I'm in these masses? Well, every mass, almost every mass, obviously, um, the wrong man is being is being commemorated at the in the canon at the Te Igitor. Then there's also the the incorrect um uh, naming of the Pope in these in these propers. Um, if you're in an Institute of Christ the King Mass, and I've been, you know, for how many years now, been asking, you know, give me the temporal punishment if it will help. Give me the temporal punishment. And I was just started thinking, what if, what if, you know, my checks coming due, and part of me paying for this is that my body, my body is going to start physically falling apart now as I age. Just, and it was just this stupid, this stupid allergic reaction that I had to this soap. Has got me thinking about this. 
Eric, you know, Super Nerd's been keeping in contact with me and sending updates and and um, essays and things that 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 Eric's wife was writing about, you know, the process of him dying, about um, his body giving out, and I mean, I thought I knew it all. I thought I had a pretty um, a pretty thorough understanding and knowledge of you know, the kind of the processes that the human body goes through as it is dying at the end of life. And actually, I, there were things about uh, death that physical things that can happen to people that I wasn't even aware of, and they're pretty bad. And, um, and Eric, Eric went through those. And but you know, he died well, grace of a happy, holy provided death. Eric had the chrome oh goodness. He, he totally had the grace of a happy, holy provided death. I mean, I don't know how many t- did he, he surely got the apostolic pardon, didn't he? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, Without question. Absolutely. Oh yeah. He got the apostolic pardon died on a Saturday. I mean, at home, family, children. I mean, just endless, endless hours of just being able to be there in a, in the normal home environment with your wife, with all of your small children, everybody getting to be there and touch you and hold you and tell you goodbye and tell you how much they love you and everybody praying over you and you getting every sacramental benefit that you possibly, possibly can. Oh, and something that really hit me is something that, that he, you know, he, of course, when you, when you have, I would think, I say this not having a, the first clue, when you have that kind of physical condition where you're fighting cancer that's literally eating you from the inside out, you're fighting yeah. it. You're constantly fighting it. The idea of letting go, he literally called his priest to ask permission to let go. Yeah. Asked his wife first before and get to get her permission before calling the priest to let go. Yeah. The whole idea and- of just being so united to the idea of obedience. I mean, it, it's when, when I, when I read that in, in, in his wife's journal, it's like, dude, I am such a schmuck. I don't live up <laughs> to this. Yeah. Yeah. It's though I, I, I'm, I don't know. It's I'm going back and forth as to whether or not we should link to any of that, because as you know, there's a lot of, you know, our listenership is just are some of the most wonderful people on the surface of of the earth. But there's also really, really nasty people who listen to this podcast and and hang on every word I, I say and every word I write because they're just looking, looking for any way to get at me, get at you um, anything. It, it's it's sort of a demonic. It's a demonic uh, dynamic. The demons are doing exactly exactly the same thing. They're watching, they're listening, and they're trying to constantly figure out a way to get at you. Um, and I, it, it, the testimony of his death is so profound, but at the same time, I don't want to open, open that, open the family up to a can of, you know, public worms. J- just, just for now, folks, take it from us. This gentleman died an incredibly good death that the world would look at and say was absolutely horrific. And who knows, we will not find out until the general judgment what um, what Eric's suffering, because you know that he had to have told God many times that he was he would offer up his sufferings for X, Y, and Z, and we won't know until the general judgment 
because that's between him and Christ, what, what those sufferings or what those, um, what his suffering might have merited and who it, who it would apply to and so on and so forth. We don't know, but all I know is that, yeah, if, if, if if things are going to happen like that to me, if my body is going to do go through things like that, or if something is going to happen to me in terms of you know we're we're we've been talking about and current events and so forth are all pointing to the possibility that a French Revolution type situation could end up happening conceivably within our natural lifetimes where people start being disappeared, tortured, killed, et cetera, et cetera. And I've been, I've been, uh, obviously I've been highly aware of that since I did the Koran burning. Cause you know, people, the common knowledge was, is if you do a public Koran burning, you are, you're putting, you're putting a fatwa on your own head and it's just a matter of time. That and publishing the information for how to find you if you fly yes. on Heathrow to Denver. I mean, yes. exactly turn by turn and, and, and yes. what, what instructions to give the cabbie, all, all the rest. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Detailed driving. Well, you rent a car, rent a car and, and oh, also wear body armor. Cause it's stop by, stop by the local mosque to arm up because otherwise yeah. it's not fair. Get your boys. Get your boys. <laughs> so, I, I mean, yeah, the, the, you just have to start mentally preparing for these things now. Eric and his death, that um, that shows us we need to mentally prepare for you know our own bodies essentially uh, t- turning against us, which we all know that it happens to a significant percent of of the population. I mean, we all make the the kind of gallows humor joke that we all want to just die. Um, we want to have a heart attack asleep in bed at the age of 99 and a half or whatever, but that's wrong. That, that is not a good death. I want, I want to know, I want to be in the moment. Um, I, I want my death to be, to be holy and to count for something. Um, the notion of it's actually frightening to think that as you get older, it is possible that you could die in your sleep and you you would be unprepared. You would be completely unprepared. I mean, hopefully, obviously, hopefully you would be prepared in a in a broad sense, but you would not be prepared in in a very specific, tight, um, detailed sense, the way that uh, Eric was able to prepare, the way that people who are um who are going to be executed know they're going to be executed. That's one of the reasons why there is the death penalty, because it's one of the things um, in a Christian society, it's the kind of the last, the last effort, the last thing that society can do for a person who has committed horrific crimes in order to make them realize and for them to repent, revert, be confessed or to convert. And there have been ministries in the church, specifically the Palatines, the the community attached to um, St. Vincent Pelotti, that one of their charisms, one of the things that they would do is ministering to, to the condemned. And it's a beautiful ministry. And that's, again, that's one of the reasons why you have the death penalty. Cause for some people, like think about, think about McCarrick, like a, like a Theodore McCarrick. What would it take to get a psychopath like that 
to repent of what he's done. And somebody found him and actually was able to interview him. They went to Victoria, Kansas and went, just walked up, rang the doorbell, asked for him and they went and got him and brought him out and he was able to talk to him. And McCarrick was, seemed to be, you know, he was given the, I'm a victim. And, you know, well, there were, there were lots of seminarians and priests that I had interactions with who didn't complain. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations, McCarrick. There were actually men that you came in contact with that you didn't sodomitically sexually assault. Oh boy. What a, what a champion, what a, what a wonderful person you are. So, you know, McCarrick, even to this day, laicized, um, being held at Victoria, Kansas, presumably so that, you know, he can't sing like a bird. Um, but he, he's non-repentant. What would it take to get a psychopath like McCarrick to repent? Uh, maybe the only thing that can get a guy like that to repent is knowing that he is going to die at sunrise the next morning, period. Um, for some, for a lot of them, even that isn't enough, but for some of them, it is, um, just that sure knowledge. Um, and then for, for others, for normal people, yeah, I I think I would prefer to see, absolutely see my death coming and have it, let it have that opportunity to be a a grace-filled event, not only for myself, but, but maybe for others as well. And so circling back, you know, we were talking about Matthew seventeen twenty. Matthew seventeen twenty, and specifically, um, when you when you're going to mass and and the wrong man is being commemorated, um, and the other thing is you can't be locked into the idea that the results of this has to have to be right now. It has to be instantaneous. God is not limited by time. You have to be patient. The fruit of the fourth sorrowful mystery, the carrying of the cross, is patience. And so, you know, here we are asking God, give us temporal punishment if it'll help. I have no idea what the timeline for any of this could be. It could be years, decades. This could be reaching out forward in time. I have no idea how how far forward this is going to reach out in time. Um, that's up to our Lord. And of course, remember our lady is the mediatrix of all graces. And so this is kind of her domain too. Um, she's the one who gets to, in a certain sense, dole all this grace out and decides who gets what, when, and so on and so forth. And so, um, yeah, the, the whole notion that this has to be resolved, my prayers have to be answered, and it all has to be right now. Don't eat That's You're just setting yourself up again to be scandalized and lose your faith. Um, no, God is outside of time. He operates on his own schedule. The, the um, divine providence unfolds perfectly in the fullness of time, according to the will of God, not according to your will. And so, you make yourself, you cooperate, you open yourself up to, um, to taking on temporal sufferings if, if you're in a place where you think you can handle that. And also, by the way, you should run it by a confessor too, if you're going to do that as well. Um, it's kind of just- like before you, before you engage in a, a vigorous workout activity, talk to your doctor. Exactly. Yes. Talk to your confessor. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And again, like I said, if you're if you're in a delicate place right now for any reason, don't don't do it. You, it's OK. You don't have to. You don't have to. You can um, always just offer up whatever you're going through in your life right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know, give me the temporal punishment. Or if you're a person right now who already has some sort of, if you have arthritis or some kind of chronic pain or migraines or just anything like that, um, and you you just kind of feel like it's a it's a horrible grind and there's no real um, there's no real reason behind it. Look, here's something you could do offer up your physical sufferings as we all get older and start to age and so forth, any pain you might experience, um, offer it up for this intention, for these priests. Um, and the other thing that that doing this, that asking God to help, to, to pray for these priests while they're, you know, unfortunately in this position, is that it inflames tremendous charity in your heart for them. So if you're if you're saying give me the temporal punishment for example for what father is saying during the mass and the and the name of the man that he's commemorating um that instantly forces you to start thinking about man think of the position that he's in if he if he's uh, he's under obedience so he's under obedience and he has to say this if he does the other, then he might be at risk of being suspended and thrown out of, of maybe his his community, whatever, losing his ability to minister, losing his ability. Think of all the things that would be running through your mind if you were in his shoes and you were in this horrific situation, which is why we really, really, really need to do everything that we can to get this resolved as quickly as possible. Um, and again, you know, for a lot of people, there there's not much you can do directly physically on the ground. Um, but the pra prayer is number one. Everybody can do the prayer thing. Everybody can, um, you know, unite and and pray for the priests in, in various and sundry ways. Um, but those of us who do have the ability on a larger scale level to do something to try to help and, and advance towards some sort of a resolution uh, to this situation, we're obliged to do it. We, we have to keep pushing, pushing, pushing and get something. No, you can't just throw your hands up, walk away from this and say, oh, it's, it's Jesus's church. This is on him. Well, no, no, we're given. We, it is such a grace. It is such a mark of favor that it's us who are alive right now in these times. We're the ones that have been specifically chosen by the divine providence to be right here, right now as absolutely incomprehensible and bizarre as that seems, it's not Catherine of Siena who's alive right now in the early 21st century. It's not Bernard of Clairvaux who's alive right now in the early 21st century. It's it's us. And we're the ones who are supposed to, to be helping, giving God something to work with, helping to um, to get this fixed as best we can and to help as many people as possible not be scandalized. Um, and again, the clock is running in terms of Pope Benedict. He's, he's 92 years old. He's an old man. And the reason I say that the clock is running isn't because, you know, oh my gosh, when he died, well, when, when Pope Benedict dies, there will be no living Pope. Um, if, if Pope Benedict predeceases anti-Pope Bergoglio, yeah, the see will be vacant. But I mean, 
duh, that's that's just common sense. Of course, the sea will be vacant. That has nothing to do with 1958 acantism. That's a completely different thing, and it's completely dishonest, totally, totally dishonest for people to argue that if you... Uh, you know, adhere to simple, logical, mathematical reality that if there if there is no living pope, if Pope Benedict predeceases um, Bergoglio, that that then puts you in exactly the same camp as these holo- Holocaust denying nitwits who think that there hasn't been a pope since the death of Pius the Twelfth, and that whole business of trying to smear us by attaching us to, like I said, these people, these weird Holocaust denying flat Earth. I mean, I mean the number of conspiracy theories that these people subscribe to are just absolutely stunning. And it's one of the proof sets. It's a, it's a secondary or tertiary thir- uh, pr- proof set, but it's a proof set uh, that they're, that they're wrong and they're off the rails at the fact that so many of them um, are, are so quick to subscribe to just obviously insane wackadoodle conspiracy theories and a non-trivial percentage of them think that everything is the fault of and would be and all the world's problems would be solved if every human being that has a certain percentage of jewish dna or higher were were murdered there's a non-trivial percentage of them who do think that and so again another tertiary proof set that this is not the way to go trying to cast us because we we do acknowledge Pope Benedict is the only living pope. If he dies, the see will of course be vacant. Who 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 would be occupying it if if Benedict's the pope and then Pe- Benedict dies? Who would be in the see? It would be vacant, of course. That's just objective mathematical reality. Um, we need to get something moving to resolve this because. It's the chaos is gonna is gonna be, um, it's gonna be bad for Pope Benedict personally, and then you'll have all of this bizarre dynamic going on. Of well, now the sea's vacant. Da 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 da. da. How about we get this resolved? as soon as possible, while Pope Benedict is still alive, how about we be manly and virile and potent and we see this problem and we strive to fix it as quickly as possible instead of being effeminate, slothful, wimpy, oh, this is so hard. Oh, this is this is above my pay grade. This is above your pay grade. Well, I'm sorry. Do you, do you honestly are you going to sit around and wait for for you know Cardinal Coco Palmario and the rest of those fags, those apostate fags to fix this? Um, well, this is this is an unprecedented situation. I can we can't possibly do anything. Well, only if you're a complete and total effeminate. Good grief! That every every morning the sun rises is an unprecedented situation. Every moment of reality is is new. You need someone. You have to have someone telling you what to do, what to think. You have no capacity to look at at a at a situation, at a tactical battle space, if you will, 
see what the see what the objective situation is and then formulate a response for that you have to wait for someone to come along and tell you or if the situation that you're encountering is unprecedented and it's something you've never encountered before in your entire life you you're just you grind to a screeching halt and you are completely paralyzed you know what that's called it's called effeminacy it's called being effeminate and that has nothing to do with faggotry or sodomy what that has to do with is not displaying possessing the virtue of potency the virtue of virility it's it, the opposite end of that go ahead it, it's avoiding the arduous good and in terms of you know if you see the arduous good is to do a and you decide not to do it and I'm, that's not the canadian a i'm just making an example right if you if you know what the right way to act is and you don't do it that's a feminacy yeah. And I'm it's, sure. And it's either because it's too arduous, it's too difficult, or B, uh, and this, uh, so sloth or sloth is when you don't do the arduous, difficult good. Effeminacy is when you don't do something because it might potentially reduce your personal pleasure in life. It, it might it might disturb your life of what I don't know screwing around on the internet all day, you know, making ex buku bucks, whatever it is. It's it's anything that might reduce your personal pleasure and comfort in life. That is effeminacy. Well, I might I might be transferred to a rural parish. Oh, well, he heaven forbid. Heaven forbid those people out in the rural parish probably would have been begging God to send them a good priest for, for 55 years now. Heaven forfend that their prayer should be answered and be answered by you. Heaven forfend that anyone should ever have to take up their cross because our Lord never says anything about that in the Gospels, does he? Oh, wait. Yes, he does. Over and over and over again. This situation is not going to resolve until people start taking up their crosses. And you know what the funny thing is? As our Lord promises, if you take, if you lay down your life, you'll get your life. If you take up your cross, you will push through to the other side and you will have, you will have life and you will have it abundantly. Um, but nobody, nobody believes this. Nobody's willing to risk anything. No, no, no. I can't, I can't do anything, especially churchmen. I mean, but as has been prophesied and as is being confirmed, who was it? Somebody this past week, um, one of the people that are in Rome, I think it's Voris. Voris said he talked to somebody, maybe a cardinal, and the remark was, there is no faith in Rome. And it, it was that, it was exactly that. There is no faith in Rome. And that's a double entendre because there is no faith in Rome can't, means both all of these churchmen, all of these clerics and prelates in Rome have, for all intents and purposes, lost the faith, which is obvious. The other sense that that you can take that is, is that nobody 
outside of Rome looking in has any faith in any of those people. There is no faith in Rome. So people like us looking at Rome say, well, we don't have any faith in these people. Um, where, where the hell have they been? What are they doing? Well, they're having cocaine-fueled orgies that may or may not be black masses in, in the Vatican. That's what they're doing. They're doing crap like that or turning a blind eye to it because they all know damn good and well that the entire thing is an absolute infested rat hive of sodomites. They all know it. And they've been turning a blind eye to it for decades and decades and decades. Well, you have to go along to get along. And there's always going to be queers in the sacristy and blah, 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 blah. Nope. Sorry. That bill is coming up and it's coming up right now. Um, so talk, talk about a bunch of people who are effeminate and slothful and will not do anything that might be difficult or might um, reduce their own personal pleasure or comfort in life. That's what they're all terrified of. They're terrified that they're going to lose that the real estate, that the financial holdings are all going to be lost if they say anything. Yep. But I don't know. One can only hope, you know, that it, it could start you know, brush fires can start like this. And if one person, of of stature steps forward and says all right there's something very wrong here and we need to start we need to go back to we need to go back to 2013 we need to go back to february of 2013 and we need to start looking at what in the hell exactly went on and we need to be looking at it in light of canon law period, full stop. This is all a juridical issue and problem and question. And the answer lies in canon law. And we need to be serious about this and not just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, okay, yeah, I guess. you got there. It, there's this misconception out there. And I think this is a very large misconception that when Pope Benedict um, said what he said on February 10th, or 11th was it of of 2013 that you know suddenly a tremendous um legal edifice flew into action and started looking intensely at at what has happened in terms of this notion of this of the pope abdicating and blah 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 guys that is not what happened. The St. Gallen Mafia wanted this to happen, so they, they're, sh they're sure as hell not going to incite anybody to be looking at this in any sort of a serious way. And the rest of them, I'm telling you, the rest of them just shrugged their shoulders and said, oh, okay, all right, whatever. They, where, if, if, if it is the case that some great big um, edifice of, of canon lawyers inside the Roman Curia started studying and researching and looking at this, have you seen any sort of scholarship at all? produced on this question? Has there been anything written by any of these people about this enormous, enormous event in, in the 2,000-year history of the church? Anything else previous to this has been written about and written about and written about and talked about and talked about. What about this? No. All they all did was like, oh, okay, all right, well, get me get me plane tickets and get me booked into this and such residence. Well, okay, I guess I'm going to have to go. They just, they just took it for granted. They took it for granted. I'm telling you. 
Um, and again, that's a function of dropping the ball, being effeminate, being slothful, being faithless for a lot of them, not taking this stuff seriously at all. And then for a lot of them, for the St. Gallen Mafia type people, those who are 100% in this sodomitical Freemasonic Mafia, they don't want anybody looking at the canon law. They don't want to talk about it. It's just let's get this wave of, moment, of momentum going and let's just push through on this as hard as we can, get the anti-pope quote unquote elected and installed, then once you do that, it, nobody's going to be willing. Nobody's going to be willing to say anything. Nobody's going to be willing to touch him. And that's exactly what happened. So don't kid yourselves into thinking that all the greatest minds in the church suddenly turned to canon law and were doing intense research on this. They weren't. There were canon lawyers, and I have the citations of this in my part two video. There were canon lawyers, most of them Italians, who were publishing some of them within days of um, of Pope Benedict's announcement in in early February of 2013, saying this is this is not cool. This is not kosher. This needs to be looked at. We need to slow the hell down on all of this. Totally ignored. Totally dismissed. And now it's turned into totally um, character assassinated. Anybody who dares even talk about this, bring this up, is wildly calumniated, branded as insane, et cetera. It's, I mean, we see this and we see this. Everybody's doing it from Trad Inc. all the way back to the Uber to the Uber libs. It's all the same tactic. It's all the same Alinsky tactic to isolate, um, to personally demonize, et cetera, et cetera, so that everybody's just terrified to say anything. What we see happening right now and what, um, you know, with this past week of the worshiping of the demonic deities, pagan deities in the Vatican Gardens and then the Scalfari interview where anti-Pope Bergoglio confesses that he doesn't believe in the divinity of Christ, there's more and more people. There's a lot of people now who have thrown down the gauntlet and said enough, enough is enough of this. This has to be talked about. The, the invalidity of Benedict's resignation has to be discussed. And more people are just, it's gotten to the point now. And again, I think this is part of God's mercy. This is how I look at this situation and I'm not scandalized. I see how good God is. He has been bending over backwards, trying to beat all of us over the head with the objective, visible reality of all this. And now it's getting to crunch time. And now it's, guys, seriously, if worshiping of demonic pagan deities and con and confessing that you do not believe in the divinity of Christ, if that doesn't do it, what the hell else will? What the hell else will? And that's, that's our Lord giving us again another chance in his mercy, the divine providence making all of this visible so that as many people as possible can be not scandalized, saved. Heck, there are people who are looking at this who are wanting to convert to Catholicism because they're seeing their, this satanic attack on, on the Catholic Church. This is a very strong indicator to people who are yet outside the church that the Catholic Church is, in fact, the, the one true church is founded by Christ. And people are realizing this is the real deal. I need to get in. I need to convert in. 
Um, so people who are who are inside the church and are being scandalized, you should be ashamed of yourselves because there's people on the outside who are seeing this and are wanting in. And I'm reminded, I think it's St. Francis de Sales, but we'll have to look it up. Great quote, never forget this. People who commit scandal are murderers because they're they're murdering other people's souls because they're either causing other people to lose their faith or they're inciting others into sin. People who cause scandal are murderers, but if you allow yourself to be scandalized, you will have committed suicide. You're not going to be you're not going to be innocent in it. You should be able to look at this situation and you should be able to know better and that's exactly what's going on here. Dismount soapbox. I'm going to take a sip of water. And I would also say that as vehemently, and I think that's an understatement, as you would say that Benedict has never ceased to be Pope. Mm -hmm. There are people who, without malice and without bad thoughts, have considered that maybe Benedict really did. I'm one of these people. That's why I'm saying this. Mm -hmm. I don't think that what Francis is saying is correct. I'm looking at this as saying with an open mind to convince me because this doesn't look right at all. Mm-hmm. Now, the argument of defective form, I don't buy that. Maybe coercion. And I was just having this argument with um, Mark, who you did the podcast with um, mm-hmm. a few episodes mm-hmm. back. Um, the, whole op- the whole idea that uh, there was massive coercion being exerted on Benedict before he resigned um, the fact the whole banking the the Vatican banking system was frozen, right? And it was unfrozen right after he announces uh, resignation. And we're now seeing with other with the rest of the news, which again it, it, back to your point of look squirrel distraction. Um, the Vatican Bank, there they are finding corruption. I mean, Pell found uh, Pell found in excess of a billion dollars just hidden in the sofa cushions. And that's when they pulled the trigger on him. And now he's probably going to die in prison in Australia. And they knew when they when he when Bergoglio installed Pell as the basically the person overseeing the investigation and, and reform of the Vatican Bank, it was done completely because they knew that they had this ability to um, completely totally eliminate Pell at the drop of a hat whenever they wanted to. Pell finds a billion dollars. Um, again, I think it was Voris who had a, a thing this past week that said they found $500 million in um, in funny money that's tied to the Peter's Pence. And again, it's all Vatican Bank. You've had the, <laughs> they're, they're now fighting with each other and the Vatican police raided the Vatican or the Secretary of State's office because they found stuff involving corruption, the Vatican Bank, the the importance of the corruption and the levels of the of corruption in the Vatican Bank cannot be overstated. And so, yes, absolutely, that level of coercion. And when they kicked the Vatican off of the um, the global money movement network, what's it called? Span. And there was no no ATMs, no credit card processing, nothing. And the Vatican museums, that's that's the the cash cow. That's what's running. That's what's basically subsidizing all this crap um, for the day to day, the day to day operations. 
it cannot be overstated how important all this money and the Vatican Bank are in all of this. And that these people that we're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars in money laundering, and these people are murderers. They are murderers. The notion that it is simply not possible that Pope Benedict could have been coerced in any way is, is it's laughable. It's absolutely laughable. Go ahead. Well, the argument I was having with Mark is, is given the unimpeachable evidence that there was definite coercion going on, could Benedict still, of his own free will, make a valid resignation? I don't know. I really don't know. Because if you look at the text of what he said, even setting aside the whole Munus versus ministry stuff, I made the tweet, I don't know how many months ago it was, like, yo, I'm done with my gig. I'm, I'm quitting in such a way that the sea of Peter will be vacant. Even if the preceding wording was ambiguous, he stated clearly what the effect was going to be. And even a confused uh, Kantian German philosopher stated it clearly what the effect was going to be, even if he didn't get the, the terms correct beforehand. Now, can there be a situation where the, the pressure exerted on him was so great that he cannot validly resign under, because he was under duress? I don't know. But I'm one of these people who would say that I'm not so much tied to who the actual potato is at the moment. I'm tied to the faith. And this but, is this but is this Peter is the, is the well, rock upon which the church is built. And so yes, you can't and, and you can't the, turn your back on this and say it doesn't matter who the rock is because Peter the rock is the the rock upon which the church is built and he is the standard of schism. In and of himself, unity with Peter is the standard of schism. And so you can't just throw your hands up and say it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. It does, absolutely. It Especially when you get into this Amazon stuff. And I've been looking at it since about 5 o'clock this afternoon. Um, there's, Did I send you the link for Novosar to watch? I usually don't send links out. I've never included it, a link in the show notes because they're a set of a contest site. But one of the great things about the set of a contest is if you want to know what the um, the changes from the second draft to the third draft of the preparatory notes for the third Lateran Council were, they would have <laughs> they it off the top of their head and could produce a hard copy of it. They, they've got a link of everything going on right now. And which sounds weird because they you would think that since 1958, they would think that nothing valid is going on in Rome, so why are they keeping notes? But anyway, so I've been, I've been looking at all this and saying, why are they keeping notes and all this stuff? And, and you look at this and say, well, if, from my perspective, if Francis is Pope, how is this even possible? And it's, it's beyond the point of saying, you know, it used to be the, the standard, of, you know, the standard question to ask, from absurdity of of course it's true would say is the pope catholic mm -hmm. and i remember seeing an article in car and driver magazine back in the 80s where the, the phrase was changed to is the pope a bachelor and this was jp2 and my wow. mom thought that was really funny because the alternative question was questionable I'm, i wasn't as hardcore as her at the time but you look at this now and it's like, no, I mean, Scalfari making these these statements and he has, like you said, he's had nine interviews. He's never yep. taken any of them back. Nope. It's either he really believes everything that Scalfari has said or he's complicit in it and just has not corrected mistakes. 
Either way, there is definite culpability there. You have to honestly question, is Francis even Catholic? No, he isn't. He clearly isn't. And can somebody who's not Catholic be the Pope? No, of course not. Of course not. So, oh, and that reminds me, you brought up the, is the Pope Catholic? And I came across recent, my jaw about drop, we'll put this in the show notes. There's a clip from the American sitcom, The Office, which is pretty recent. It's within the last 10 years. And it's a, you know, it's just one of these opening montage clips or whatever from The Office. <laughs> I kid you, my, my jaw just dropped when I watched this. Um, one of the guys is talking about, like you said, the examples of, you know, does a bear poo in the woods or whatever, or, and he says, how, how's that? Ask the Catholic church if, if two popes makes any sense or something like this. And this is, this is all like 10 years ago. This completely predates it. I will, I'll send you this clip and we'll put it in the show notes. And it's, it's really, really weird that even as degenerated as American situation comedy television is, that even in the context of a 10-year-old clip from an American sitcom, that people were making the point there aren't two popes and, you know, things like that, you know? And so it was, it was really interesting. But um, yeah, it's, uh, he's, he's clearly not Catholic. He's not Catholic. There's no way. So, you know, what I think about is, you know, if it was in a car, if I were in a car accident or whatever, and and I find myself at my particular judgment five minutes from now or whatever, um, our Lord looking down from the cross, looking at me and just saying, what more could you have possibly needed? <laughs> what what more evidence do you need? He isn't even Catholic, and it's obvious that he's not Catholic. Not only is he not Catholic, he's vigorously, vehemently, angrily anti-Catholic. He hates Catholics. He hates faithful Catholics. He is systematically destroying every monastic community that is faithful to Holy Mother Church, all of these nuns, all of these monks, all of these religious orders and so on and so forth, he's just systematically going down the line and destroying them. Um, he, he talks at length about the contempt that he has for, you know, young priests who wear the cassock, wear the saturno, who are quote unquote too rigid, who pray too much, blah, 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 who are, who are attached to nostalgic forms. And so, and he, he, he openly accuses anyone who is in any way orthodox, traditional, believing Catholic of being psychologically damaged. He, he said this repeatedly. There's something wrong. They're psychologically damaged. What what more do you need? And so, <coughs> excuse me, there's just no way I'm going to my particular judgment and not acknowledging these things. I don't know if it was you I was talking to earlier this week or somebody else, but the whole idea with this whole Scalfari thing came out and the assertion that Francis might not believe that Jesus is Christ or Jesus is God, I should say. Right. It makes it, it, it I thought about that and said, 
does he really question that? Or is it more likely that, like the Sanhedrin at the time of Christ, does he believe truly that Christ is God, Jesus is God, and he hates him? Which makes you wonder, I've heard this this phrase over and over in the last 10 years uh, from different priests of giving sermons and whatnot, that the idea that we're, we're beginning or in some phase of the passion of the church, that in the same sense that Christ, during his life on earth, went through a passion, death, and crucifixion, the church, the mystical body, would go through a passion, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Not total death, obviously, because the, the, the gates of hell will never prevail. And it made me wonder, it's like, is that where we are in history? Are we right at the beginning here where the Sanhedrin is condemning Christ? Because the high priests were looking right at Christ. They knew exactly who he was, and they hated him, and they condemned him to death. Is that where we are right now? Hmm. It's an interesting theory. The, the issue to always remember, though, is, is that Christ in his infinite goodness can never, could never, will never put, put us, the church, the church militant, in the position where you have this internal contradiction where you have to be, you have to assent to and be united to a man who to assent and be united with him is to deny Christ. You see that internal contradiction that, that catch, it's just a catch 22. Well, um, wouldn't that be our lady of Fatima saying that, that um, the Pope and she didn't say which one was going to have much to suffer, but she also told us that the rosary and scapular stay, stay faithful to those stay faithful to prayer and penance and you will save your soul. That's mm-hmm. not what the Pope and the Vatican have been preaching for a while. Oh no, they hate Fatima. Um, when the the story is that when um, Sister Lucy, of <laughs> of indeterminate identification, but when Sister Lucy died, that the remark that went around amongst all these sodomite prelates inside the Vatican was, "Well, thank God that's finally over. Thank God that circus is over finally." I did um, not know that part of it. Yeah, I certainly yeah. know the fact that that there is a um, a Sister Lucy Truth movement going that mm-hmm. um, that asserts that there's at least one other person who was supposed to be Sister Lucy, and um, they've got some very interesting, high power, um, unimpeachable experts doing their research for them, and it's not cheap. Um, should we put a link to that, by the way? Because yeah, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. It's like it's, you look at you to a certain degree. You look at everything else going on in the church right now with the Amazon Synod, and you look at the Sister Lucy Truth stuff. It's like, is that really that important? I mean, yes, it it would be blockbuster any other day of the week or any other century of, of, of the church. But right now, it's kind of third fiddle. Yeah, isn't that something? I mean, I'm. I go back and forth. I, I actually made a blog post about it years ago, the whole Sister Lucy Truth thing, and was encouraging people to go ahead and look at it. And what just really frustrated me and sent red flags up the pole for me was there was all of this um, promises that that huge evidence is coming, begging for money, begging for money, begging for money. Oh, we're getting ready to drop a big bomb. And then nothing would happen. And this went on for years. And I mean, I'm sorry, at that point, I'm 
some, something's wrong. However, having said that, you look at, um, especially the photographic evidence, it's the, the, the pictures, the two pictures of the two nuns, it's clearly, obviously, obviously not the same woman. Um, and, you know, you can see that with your own naked eye very easily. And then, yeah, you bring in forensic, you know, investigators they can do, you know, putting putting lines on faces and drawing and mapping faces. And with all the facial, obviously, with all the facial identification technology we have now, this is a very sophisticated um, sort of a thing, both from the front view and from the side view. They've got handwriting experts who have done who've done the same thing. Um, it's clearly not the same person. It's obvious some, something fishy, something very, very fishy has gone on there. Um, and what's the story who was it is it john the 23rd who just about lost his lost his lunch when he was shown the third secret and said well that doesn't apply to me take that away john the 23rd um, said this is not something that applies to our times <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though there was well okay i've never read the secret but apparently the the date in 1960 was involved and John the 23rd was elected in October 1958. 58, yep. Unless he's planning to have a really short pontificate, it it affects him. Yeah. I mean, again, we'll all, we'll find out at the general judgment, but there's absolutely sketchiness going on that goes without saying. Um well, and, and, and to that point though, all of this stuff that we're talking about with regard to Fatima and the third secret, which is I, I don't know. I don't know if I said the, the term the third secret, but all of this is private revelation. Mm -hmm. Private revelation does not change public revelation, which ended with the death of St. John the Evangelist. Yes. It will amplify or clarify or mm -hmm. just reinforce mm -hmm. whatever was already said. Also, honorary mention, more than honorary mention in the same category, it has to go without saying, is Anne Catherine Emmerich. I mean, that stuff is, that is so uncanny and so spot on that, yeah, I know there are people that say that there are, there are problems that, you know, maybe that there was the priest who was dictating her dictating all of this or um, transcribing all of this as she was dictating it, that he was, he was editorializing and adding things and embellishing things, man, I don't know. All I know is you read Anne Catherine Emmerich and every time I go back and reread it, it's, it's jaw dropping afresh. It's evergreen. How stunning, how stunning the it, stunningly accurate it is. I, and again, totally private. We're not, nobody's obliged to do any, but I think you're dumb if you discount these things, especially the stuff like the approved Marian apparitions. I mean, come on. I mean, he, he sends his, he sends his mother multiple, multiple times to warn us with, with kind of good detailed, you know, uh, prophecies that if you don't do this, then you can expect this to happen. And it's all happening. And some of it is the kind of stuff that, you know, for a long time, when, when, when that information first came out, nobody had any idea what it meant. And now it's just, it's just glaringly crystal clear what it meant. Um, so I, I think you're dumb if you discount it. I think, uh, I, again, you, do, you don't have to believe any private revelation, but goodness, God loves us. He's so good. He's, he's 
infinite, infinite good. Never, ever, ever forget that. He's not a jerk. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to fool you. It's, it's exactly the opposite. This crap is going on and the divine providence is making sure that everything is hyper visible. And you couldn't write this. You could not write this as a screenplay. 10 years ago, you would get laughed out the door. And yet here it all is in this amazing, amazing visibility. And that's, that's again, you know, people, I, I get the emails and people are so nice and say, oh, I hope you're okay. And I hope that you're, you're holding together and every, well, I, my, my faith just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Each passing day, you, I look and it's just, God is so good. He is so good. And he's bending over backwards so much. And he loves us so much. And again, going back to the concept of, you know, the Novus Ordo. Nope, don't want to go to a Novus Ordo Mass. Will do everything in my power that I possibly, possibly can. Priority numero uno in the life of Anne Barnhart is being within easy walking distance of the daily old Mass. Everything else Everything is totally secondary. I will live anywhere. I will live in a big city. I will live in a tiny little rural town. I will do I will do anything I need to do within my power to make sure that I am within easy walking distance of, of a daily old mass. Um, the van by the river can move as long as the spot is near an old mass. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. I am not tied anywhere to anything. I mean, I like where I am now. and But our Lord knows, man. I, people, people ask me, um, how, long do, how long do you plan on staying where I am right now? And my answer is Mary Poppins. I will stay until the wind changes, baby. And as soon as it's time to go, I'm gone. Um, I will go wherever I need to go at the drop of a hat at moment's notice, no problem. However, back to the Nova Sordo, how much, how good is our Lord? How much does he love us that I can be very, very confidently assured that any Nova Sordo church that I walk into, that he is reposed in that tabernacle. And I was walking somewhere the other day and I walked by a church and I just happened to stick my head in. And what what's going on? Exposition and benediction. And it was a Nova, it was a Nova Sordo church. Heck, I, I was in and on my knees, got, got the benediction, said the divine praises, and then, you know, continued on on my way to where I was going. Um, how good is our Lord that even in these Novus Ordo masses and, and all along the whole time, he has not abandoned us. He's there. You stick your head in. He's in that tabernacle. You can be very confidently assured that he's in the tabernacle. Um, you can be very confidently assured that if you should happen on an adoration chapel or like I did on on benediction or whatever, that you are not engaging in idolatry and that that is not a, a piece of bread, that that's him. That's body, blood, soul, and divinity of our blessed Lord and Savior. And you can be very, very confidently assured of that. And there's no, there's no hesitation. Um, 
I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, something that came out of left field, circling back to where we started in the overall theme of this episode is the Amazon sin nod, is that they're now literally started talking about, and I didn't see this coming, they're talking about making an Amazonian right. And you're like, okay, okay, this is, this could be the way that we will know that something is complete, that some liturgy that's going on under the, under the canopy of the church anti-church, which is Father Linus Clovis says, is currently subsisting in the same liturgical, juridical, and sacramental space. What would a completely, we know, completely invalid liturgy be? <laughs> These guys are talking about making an Amazonian right. Ha ha. Oh, Which is a mass about, without a priest. Mass without a priest. Oh, and who knows? Who knows what else this would involve? I mean, they're already worshiping pagan pagan deities inside the Vatican Gardens. Who the hell knows what else they would do? Um, but it it didn't occur to me. I thought they would try to trick everybody that they would just try to completely corrupt the Roman, right? Ah, maybe the divine providence is, is steering this so that they're going to try to make their own damn right. Well, you know, history shows that uh, as as the church expands, you know, th th so we had the Eastern Schism in, I don't know, 1032-ish. Mm -hmm. some, some of those uh, groups came back in, and so they had the, the Eastern Rites uh, or the the ordinance, whatever the the I don't know I don't know what the terminology is. The Maronites, for example, the, there's there's not a geographical thing outside of Lebanon saying you cannot go to a Maronite right. So there you go from legitimate to questionable, like the Anglican. And you know, I'm not questioning the Anglican. I'm just making a, a statement of degree at this point. Why not then go to something that is really questionable, like Amazonian or whatever they're doing right now the there there is the precedent where you go from strictly there's this is unquestionable to this is probably maybe might be okay to uh, okay we're just gonna call it whatever because we've got this trend that's slipping already and mm -hmm. you know how much longer before you have i don't know a lutheran ordinate or i don't know a satanic ordinate i mean they they, they worship a higher power why not well, yeah, I mean, that's, it's Freemasonry. That's the the ultimate objective is to get to the, the one, the quote unquote, one world religion. Um, but I think I don't know what I, what I see is this whole business of the Anglican ordinariate and, and things like that, that was, that just set a very, very bad precedent. Um, and I know that there there are probably some Anglican ordinariate people out there listening, but you know, from what I've seen and be able to observe about that, and especially about how unsound they are on questions of priestly celibacy, um, you know, none of those guys who were married, who were who were Anglican fake priests, who were then received and truly ordained in the Catholic Church, who are married. None of them, none of them were told, look, the priesthood, you're married, but you would be expected if you're offering the holy sacrifice of the mass to observe for the rest of your life, perfect perpetual continence. Oh, never, it, it never, nobody, this isn't even on anybody's radar. The whole situation is so far gone. So you've got a lot of the Anglican, the married Anglican ordinary priests have come over. They're continuing, they are 
they continue to be sexually active with their wives. And then at the same time, they're going on the altar and they're engaging in the nuptial act of offering the holy sacrifice of the mass, which is wildly inappropriate. Um, that's what the permanent diaconate thing is all about. You've also got Lutherans, married Lutherans who have been received into the church and ordained Catholic priests um, in the Roman Rite who continue to live right along and continue to enjoy the marital embrace with their wives and they shouldn't have been. Yeah, hey, if you want to come in and you want to be ordained a Catholic priest and you're married and you're in this situation, that's, that is possible. That is absolutely possible. But, but what should be understood is that you, sh you and your wife must enter into perfect and perpetual continence because you, the whole notion of, you know, a double, a double nuptial situation in which you're engaging in the nuptial, the ultimate nuptial act of, of the holy sacrifice of the mass. And then, oh, also you, you've got your wife. I'm sorry, this is, this is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. And so the ordinariates have softened people up to all that, gotten people used to. You've got even trads now all over the internet. Trads saying, yep, we need to have married priests because they're so scandalized by the sodomites. They think that if you have married, sexually active priests, um, that you will, you'll solve this problem. And you're not, you're not. I mean, nobody, nobody is more of a crusader against the sodomite infiltration in the, in Holy Mother Church than I am. But I am telling you, you it is not a solution to this, to have sexually active heterosexual men on the altar offering the holy sacrifice. No, 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 no this, you, you have to do this right. We cannot be compromising on these things. And, you know, in truth, in, in a lot of the interactions that I've had with um, people in the Anglican ordinariate, they, they very much consider themselves to be a different, they consider themselves to be different. Um, and separate and apart and to it to a degree that it's disturbing now i understand that there's obviously there's the bazillion right the eastern right there's maronite you know all these different rights and so forth that are 100 in the catholic church but the and the people who are in them would say yes we are in the catholic church and but we have this is this is our right this is different with the anglicans there's something anglican ordinariate people they they still a lot of them have a have a thorough distaste for um fully confessing complete unity with rome and yeah granted granted right now on a superficial level level everybody out there listening is saying yeah and who can blame them <laughs> and i hear you i hear you but um we need to we need to be more theologically and and intellectually mature about this and it's kind of that well we're kind of half in but we're kind of half out and uh it's it's in retrospect i don't i don't know if it was the best idea or not it's set up and set, set a lot of bad precedents, if you ask me. But In terms of Anglican clergy converts, I've, I've wondered, but I've never bothered to email, tweet, or any other means ask, whether or not Taylor Marshall ever decided or, or considered becoming a um, Roman Catholic clergyman. And secondly, do folks not realize that Anglican ordinate and serum rite are not the same thing? I, I get the impression, and maybe I'm wrong, but I get the impression that it's sold as being the same thing or a resurrection of the serum right. 
which well, is how gone many, and how dead. Many people, how many people know what the serum right is first? And, um, but yeah, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I suspect that there's a non-trivial percentage of people who are at least aware of what the serum right is that, oh, this is, this is just the restoration of that or the first step towards the restoration of that. And no, 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 it isn't. It sure isn't. That's a good point. Well, I mean, the serum right died at the, well, I, I guess when Henry VIII tore the Church of England away from uh, the Church of Rome. And especially as of um, Pius V with, with um, Mot- Motu Proprio Quaprimum, the, the mass of, of the, 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 the Missile of Rome became the standard missile. Mm-hmm. And any place where the missile being used was not at least 200 years old. The, the phrase used at the time was beyond living memory. Mm-hmm. It was, if, you're, if your missile wasn't beyond living memory or 200 years, which was considered equivalent, then it, the, the, the missile of Rome displaced what, whatever was there. Mm-hmm. And the Gallican right in France qualified easily. Mm-hmm. But the, and, and there's there's some theory about the Jesuits having something to do with this, that the, the Gallican right was subverted to the, they, they said, okay, even though we have the right to keep our old missile, we're going to take the Roman Roman missile. This was all after Henry VIII pulled his act and separated England from the church at this point. Mm-hmm. So the Serum Rite, which I don't know if there's anybody alive. Oh, okay, let me rephrase that. I don't know anybody alive. I'm sure there's a, at least 110,000 of them who, who probably could, well, at least 110, who could probably accurately describe and recreate the Serum Rite. It's supposed to be extremely beautiful. But then again, the traditional Latin mass is extremely beautiful. Yeah. How much yeah. more perfect can it possibly be? And I don't know. I think I actually think that liturgists um, would tell you, and maybe that maybe some of them will chime in, that even to this day, that serum is kind of mysterious. That there's a lot of holes in serum that 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 the scholars just kind of aren't terribly sure about so i don't know if you could if you could totally reconstruct it today or not and how close it would be if you tried well it's it'd be one of these things of trad reinventionism which anybody who's listened to a lot of these podcasts have heard me rant about that before if if there's the unbroken tradition from or if there is a lack of unbroken tradition from the past which the serum right there is no unbroken tradition from the past i mean even even all the english priests who went over to france to escape being having their heads cut off they stopped saying the serum right yeah. so the serum right's dead mm-hmm. unfortunately and- <laughs> it's probably beautiful but it's we still have the infinite power of the mass anyway i mean it's it's just one of the forms of the mass it's like the eastern liturgy i mean the the the, the liturgy of saint john chrysostom is it any more perfect than the Roman Mass? Um, I do. I have friends that we debate about this, and the argument that a lot of my friends make is that the Roman rite, because it is the rite of Peter, is is the preeminent rite and is the most is the most perfected. It's the it's the cleanest. It's the smoothest. It's the most. It's the most catechetical, um, just by looking at it, et cetera, et cetera. That it has the perfect balance of beauty, but sobriety. Um, you know, the first time I <laughs> I heard a liturgist say, "Oh, the Roman, the traditional Roman rite is by far the most the most sober." And you know, I was fairly new to having 
tratted at that point. And so, you know, <laughs> to hear to hear that this this liturgy that is the highest thing that you've ever seen in your entire life is sober, hearing it described as sober, but then the first time you see a, a big fancy divine liturgy where they're, <laughs> especially if you ever get the chance to go to a divine liturgy where there's the Eastern equivalent of a, of a bishop, one of the things he gets to do is they have they have these candelabras that have i think one one of them has three candles and they're kind of like twisted together and then the other one has four and the bishop comes out and he's he's two-fisted he's got one in one one huge candelabra in one hand and one huge candelabra in the other and he makes the sign of the cross at the same time with both of them at the same time and does this huge thing this huge gesticulation with this fire going everywhere. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, Are you sure it's not three and two? Because is the, it three and two or three or three and four? Uh, maybe some, it's three. Somebody and two. listening three is going to correct us on this, but I, I thought the three was a reference to the three persons of the of the Blessed Trinity, and, and then the two, the two natures. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what yeah. the four would be. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Well, anyway, there's much fire involved, and it's being wielded in a very, very manly, impressive way. So, in fact, I'll try to I'll try to pull up. Um, and don't be surprised because a lot of the videos on YouTube of Eastern liturgies are. Are KGB. It's it's Russian Orthodox. But for the sake of just demonstrating, I'll try to find an Eastern Catholic example. But I might not be able to. If don't be scandalized if we end up posting um, just a video clip of um, a KGB liturgy because um, <laughs> you got to see this. It's really cool. <laughs> well, so, it wasn't a KGB liturgy, but I did one time go to a. I'm not even sure which version of of orthodox it was but it was after i had gone to the edm mass of the sspx and and i've been looking at uh, going to this place just to see what in the world was going on and i stood in the back out of the way and and um apparently one of their ushers noticed that i was a roman right catholic because i made the sign of the cross the wrong way and was asking me uh-huh. questions as i was leaving uh-huh. and and, the, and 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 the whole point was i just i'd heard about this place i wanted to see what was going on i was like I don't know if this is real or not, but you know, from from my perspective as as a traditional Catholic, I just wanted to find out more about it, and it was strange to me. Which you know, oh, yeah. gone, well, anybody who's gone to the Latin Rite Mass only, if you see the any kind of Eastern Rite Mass, it's going to be strange. Oh, the first time it's mind blowing. But the thing that's so cool is that when you start learning about it, and it's it's a lot harder, obviously, to learn the divine liturgy because i mean if you go if you go to something that's in church slavonic you cannot make heads or tails of anything that is being said chanted sung because the 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 church slavonic language is completely impenetrable and it uses cyrillic alphabet so you can't even look at the text on paper and try to pick out cognates or anything like that like you can with latin you are just linguistically you are completely lost well and some of so, us have a little bit of a background in military intelligence and can read the cyrillic alphabet but um oh you're just bragging <laughs> okay maybe but no the the point being is that when i when i went to this uh the service i didn't understand a darn thing that was being said it was it was greek as far as i, I remember and i'd have to look it up again on the map but i'm 100 percent certain it was greek I didn't understand what they were saying. I was just, I, I had no idea. I'd, I'd heard things about it and I wanted to learn about it. And it's like, 
I'm lost and I've already been to mass today. So I'm going to go home and I got some homework to do. So, yeah. But when you, when you go and if you're able to go multiple times and you're able to, you know, maybe have somebody kind of help you and point things out or do a little self-research, which is, you know, a lot easier now online, obviously, um, you do realize and you find out that, oh, yep, every single part of the mass of the Roman rite mass and the divine liturgy, they match up, match, 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 match. And then you just have to learn what the new signals are and what's going on here. And, oh, he came out the little door. <laughs> oh, here they all come. They're doing the parade out the little door. No, oh, now they're all going back in. <laughs> it's a, you learn, you learn how everything matches up and, um, it's it's really quite cool and boy if you if you have if they have a good choir oh eastern chant can just absolutely even though you don't understand a word of what's being said boy talk about uh, uh, the example of music being able to to communicate just um, incredibly, you know, just st music that will just rip your heart out of your chest. And you, I mean, you only have the context of where you are in, in the mass, in the liturgy to know what's, what's roughly going on. You can't understand any of the words, but oh man, suffice it to say in general, in very, very general broad terms, you know what they're saying. You know what they're saying. You don't need to understand church Slavonic to know what they're saying. Slavonic, so, I mean, the, 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 the most amazing audio I've ever heard. And I don't remember if this was YouTube or something else, but it was Russian Catholic. And I want to say this was a monastery somewhere out of France, but it, it it would have sounded, I guess, similar to Russian Orthodox, but it was, I think they were, it was Vespers. It was like eight lowers, eight, eight octaves lower than what you would expect any, any normal Gregorian chant to be. Mm -hmm. And then you have all of the melody above it, but there's this, this strident bass tone that. Yeah, the drone. You don't, you don't yeah. have to understand a darn thing about what it is they're saying to realize there is something profoundly impressive, beautiful, and sublime happening here. Yep. And this is something, you know, okay, I've never been to Salem's, so I'm sure their chant is even more awesome than anything I've ever heard. But I've never personally heard chant more impressive to just make me stop and say, wow. Wow. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. We and there's there's all kinds, there's all kinds of Eastern polyphony on YouTube. I mean, you there's playlist after playlist after playlist. No, but this is specifically Russian is what I'm getting after here, because the, in my study of, of opera, and I think I've mentioned this, that I got into opera back in 2002 or something like that. Uh, when I when I learned about it, you know, it's the 32 CD set from Bob Greenberg or Professor Robert Greenberg, how to listen to and understand opera. Awesome get it, listen to it. It's available for on, on, on audible, but, um, the Russian opera, if, if you take the concepts of Italian opera, where all of the positive people have high registers. So the soprano and the, the tenor or the good people mm -hmm. and the alto and the basses are the bad people. You flip that on its head. So in Russian opera, the bass and the alto or the good people and the sopranos oh. and, and the, the, um, the tenors are the bad guys. Okay, so it, it's just a weird Slavonic versus Italian way of doing things, but the sound of it is amazing. And mm -hmm. 
I personally love it. <laughs> I don't wow. understand a darn thing what they're saying. I mean, thanks to me growing up with the Latin mass, I've got a little bit of fluency to be able to figure out some of the words in Italian. I think I've got a halfway decent um, Italian opera um, repertoire or not repertoire um, vocabulary. So, so if I if I in the same in the same sense, anybody who's gone to the Latin mass for a while could walk into a mass, not know what mass is being said. You listen to the words, just kind of close your eyes and listen during the epistle and the gospel, and say, "Oh, yeah, this is a mass of Our Lady on Saturdays," mm-hmm. because you can you pick oh, yeah. up you pick up enough of the words. I can do that with Italian opera at this point. I still can't figure out word for word what they're saying, but Russian, I don't understand it, but it's. 10 times more beautiful. It is. It's amazing because to look at it and to listen to it spoken, it <laughs> sometimes it seems, well, Russian, I don't know. Russian it doesn't sound as ugly, but some of those Slavic languages to our ear can sound, can sound ugly. But I, man, when they start singing, woohoo, absolutely gorgeous. So they've got yeah, the well, gift of expression. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, I've, poking around on YouTube as we're chit-chatting here. And yes, I've found all kinds of liturgies. In fact, one has a screen cap of the bishop waving the candles. But as with all divine liturgies, these things are generally at least three hours long. And so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to sit here and go go through this and see if I can find in this three hour long liturgy where exactly the super cool ninja candle waving thing happens because well, if it's three I, hours, I want everybody to see that. If it's three hours Eastern liturgy, that must be their low mass. That's right. It's low mass. It's just daily mass. <laughs> so, and we are an hour and 35 minutes into this and we really haven't even talked about the Amazon Synod yet. Oh, we did a little bit. I mean, we, well, I mean a little of, bit. Uh, we had a little bit of an opening there. So I think I'm satisfied with the content and, um, if I mean, goodness knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, we'll uh, we'll be back. What is this? This is Friday, so we'll see what happens over the weekend. And if there's things that need to be commented upon, we'll try to do um, get another one done like Tuesday of next week or something like that. But it just kind of depends on if anything happens or not. In and- terms of scriptural references, I keep going back to I think it's the end of Matthew where where Christ says, "If if the Son of Man." didn't return sooner would any would would, would he or when the son of man returns would he find faith still on earth right we're getting and that yeah and the other the other one that scares scares me is that if i didn't he says if i didn't cut those days short even the elect would be deceived and so man stay close to the sacraments and the rosary and oh goodness just hang in there and like i said don't be scandalized don't be scandalized it's all been prophesied it's all happening we know what bergoglio is we know he isn't even catholic so there's nothing he does should should uh, should shake you at all so hang in there guys seriously and if it does shake you like it does me and and you're not in the same camp as Anne saying that Bergoglio wasn't Pope. For me personally, I pray the rosary and I say, I don't understand what's going on right now. I know that Jesus is God, unlike yes. Scalfari's <laughs> reports. I know that Mary isn't lying. I know that the Catholic faith is true. Mm-hmm. And my particular job at this point in time in the middle of the United States is to raise a whole bunch of Catholic kids to carry on the faith and do whatever God wants them to do in the next generation. 
it's not my immediate responsibility right now to know which exact bishop and white is the potato right now, which is a reference to a blog post Anne had a long time ago about the, the translation of Pope and potato in Spanish. Yeah, Papa. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not questioning the papacy. I know somebody is, well, actually, I don't know somebody is Pope. It's possible that, that um, Ratzinger uh, was forced to resign and he did it invalidly maybe he still is the pope from that perspective maybe he validly resigned and the saint gallons mafia invalidated i don't know what the hell's going on right now but i know the catholic faith is real i know that that the promises of jesus are not void i know that mary has not left us high and dry yep and i know that the promises of, of mary at, at fatima pray the rosary wear the scapular go to mass pray mm-hmm. for sinners this is not void. Nope. Even if you're as confused as I am, and I don't know what, who the Pope is right now, but I hope it's not Francis, honestly. But I don't. I don't have proof to the contrary. Pray the Rosary. Don't do something stupid like going to the Orthodox. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Or apostatizing completely. Um, there. Believe it or not, and you know. You say, well, if a trad, a trad would never apostatize completely. In fact, yeah, there are trads that would apostatize completely because um, that's how that's how scandalous Bergoglio is and how severe this situation is. And people who who know the faith better in in certain circumstances, some people are actually at a, at a greater risk of fully apostatizing and saying when they when they can't square the circle and they can't make they can't make sense of it and they see these these internal contradictions um they especially it seems to me men men because men are more logical thinkers they see that there's this this contradiction and they can't they can't figure it out and so they are tempted to completely apostatize and this world you know it's just with all of the the sexual impurity and so on and so forth so tempted to do it you know the world is just telling you it would just be so much easier if you just dropped all of this stopped worrying about you know this the quote unquote sixth commandment and just do what you want and yeah you can watch that porn and yeah you can go out and do this that and the other um there's a lot of i think men especially who are tempted to it and are ready to just drop it and a lot of men also um who may or may not have been around and witnessed and seen, you know, the sodomite infiltrators into the priesthood and been completely disgusted by that. And they bet their pump has been primed to a, to a certain extent to be willing to walk out the door and just say, ah, it's all a bunch of fags and I'm out, I'm done now with, with Bergoglio. So yeah, but come on guys, come on guys, we can do this. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Some things are happening. This is going to resolve. I mean, look at look at how fast events are moving now. Hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. It's we win in the end. The Immaculate Heart will triumph. It, the 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 victory is already completely totally assured. It's just what's going on in the battle space in this interim period, and that is we have to keep fighting, and that's that means you. So keep at it. Or to change the topic slightly, I mean, if you were going to bet on a sports game and you knew the outcome ahead of time, 
Would you make a wrong bet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we know what the exactly. outcome is. <laughs> it. We're also told it's going to be very confusing at the end times. And I don't know if we're there or for the dress rehearsal or the real thing. I suspect we're at the dress rehearsal, maybe a warm up for it, but that's just me. I don't have any proof for anything I'm saying there in that regard. But mm-hmm. um, you know, stay with Mary. You you look at Saint John, the the evangelist. He stayed with Mary, mm-hmm. and he was the only apostle who didn't flee Jesus. That's right. Stay with Mary, especially yep. in these weird, strange, confused times. And you know who's had more apparitions in the last 200 years than Mary. Maybe she's trying to be a good mother and, and, and prepare us for the fact that things are going to get really, really weird. Yes. Oh, I'm convinced of it. Absolutely. Well, and the so. only one of the few things that she has prophesied that hasn't come to pass was fire falling from heaven, the, the prophecy of Akita. And it's like any day now, really. Yeah, I mean, any there every time every, you look on um, Drudge, you know. By the way, Drudge sold to Google. So for those of you who weren't aware of that, be aware of that now. Um, Drudge was never completely sound, but Drudge has gotten really, really bad because it's now a Google property, unfortunately. However, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, Drudge will periodically have on their homepage. Um, links to oh meteor spotted asteroid heading toward Earth da 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 da, da. Um, fire falling from the sky could be a meteor you know coming in and exploding in the exploding in the upper atmosphere and that would be equivalent to you know massive massive nuclear detonation so and it's happened before um, and that it's going to be completely it's going to be like an earthquake. It's nobody's going to see it coming. They're not going to be, there's not going to be any notice or forewarning for any of it. There will just be, a, if something like that were to happen and they, they um, theorize that that's what Sodom and Gomorrah was that, um, you know, this brimstone falling from the sky, what would do that? What would completely utterly instantly destroy two cities like that? Well, if you had a big enough asteroid or meteor that, it, that, entered the atmosphere and then exploded about, I don't know, five, 10 kilometers above the surface of the earth, that that's exactly what that would do. It would fragment and then there would be, you know, sulfuric fiery rock falling from the sky in addition to the concussion equivalent to a massive nuclear detonation or even multiple massive nuclear detonations. So, Well, I was going to say RDS-202 at about a kilometer up. Yeah. Yep. If you're not familiar then, with that, that was also nicknamed Zarbamba. That was a 50 megaton bomb that the Russians exploded as a, as a test. And they were going to do a 100, and they had plans for a 200 megaton bomb. And they decided to scrap the latter two because the, the, the crew that dropped um, uh, the RDS-202, even though the minute they released that from the, the from the plane, there was a, a parachute deployed to retard the the falling of the thing, and they were they released this at the maximum altitude that the the bomber could could let it go. They almost didn't get far enough away to survive that blast. Mm-hmm. Fifty megaton bomb for crying out loud! I mean, I made the joke that that would solve a lot of problems in Rome right now if one of those went off, but um. I'm just being facetious because we have a multiplicity of bishops in white and there's confusion of who's 
who, which one's it? And uh, nobody's saying anything Catholic right now. So maybe just wipe the whole slate clean and start over. I don't know. Oh, it is. As I'm pulling up Canon 212 right now, just to look and see if anything's happened. Um, one of the top headlines is that uh, Mount Etna has, has um, is starting to belch things out. So don't forget about that too. Well, There's, that hasn't, hasn't that been happening for 10 years? Uh, well, you know, I think it's on and off. It's active. I think Etna's, Etna's active. What's the one that isn't active? The one at Naples isn't. Um, oh, was it Campi Flagari or something like that? Uh, no, the the actual volcano that got Pompeii, Mount Vesuvius. Well, that and Yellowstone and Yellowstone Caldera. Yep, there's all kinds of volcanic potential all over the place. And when that happens, you can't predict it. And when it happens, it's just going to be it'll be like nine eleven. I mean, you know, it'll be the day before and then the day after, and that'll be it. So well, don't worry know, about it. Going back to Akita, our lady didn't say the fire came up from the ground and then fell from the sky. It's certainly possible. I always read that as being, hey, we got the technology to make fire rain from the sky. Maybe it's our own doing, mm-hmm. but maybe not. Maybe not. Yep. Well, <laughs> well interesting she, times the, the, in the, the Chinese curse sense. Go the ahead. The unambiguous sense there, though, is that, that she made the comment to... Sister Sasagawa, I forget her name exactly, but uh, she she said that she the time is coming where the sins of man are, are getting to the point where she can no longer hold back the arm of divine justice. Yeah, and that forget about the 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 mechanism of how it's going to happen. That is scary. When Our Lady says, "I'm not going to protect you anymore." Yeah, you have and offended my son too much. I'm going to stand back and let him exact justice. Yep, I can't very, think of anything more scary than that. Between abortion, between drag queen story hours, the sexualization of children, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, at, at this point, I'm I'm shocked that it's gone on as long as it has. Again, what a testament to our Lord's mercy, giving as many people as much time as as is as is divinely possible. Um and how much longer this can go on with this crap, especially the sex with the kids and, and all that. That's just, you know. Well, I guess this... to, to the extent that there's anything positive to be gained from any of this or to to, to construe from any of this, as I've referenced this phrase several times before, as a priest I've heard said that if if justice isn't done to this country, and he's talking about the United States of America at this point, then God is going to owe an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. But we yep. know from the Bible that the terms of Sodom and Gomorrah was, could you even find 10 just people? Mm-hmm. It means that there is still enough of a cohort of people doing prayer and penance, the Matthew seventeen twenty type thing, before the country. That's why we haven't been wiped off the face of the earth yet. Our Lady of Fatima said nations are going to be annihilated. Mm-hmm. What's... Why should we be so arrogant as to think that the United States won't be one of them? And I think that tying it together back to what we were talking about, um, Bergoglio going after, especially the the religious and contemplatives, um, going after the monks, going after the contemplative nuns. I think that's a huge, we've talked about this before, I think that's a huge link in all of that. Satan wants as much of that um, of that contemplative prayer and that life, that monastic life, 
eliminated because as you've you've said numerous times that that's that might be the thread that the whole thing has just been hanging on for the whole the all along for the last you know however many decades and this is now the final last push by satan to purge as much of that as as they possibly can that's why they're going after the fan the franciscan friars of the immaculate that's why they're going after these communities that are you know praying the entire divine office and engaging in in contemplative prayer and monastic life um because that Satan has wants to eliminate all of it, absolutely all of it. And if that is the last string, then what Satan is doing is he's standing there with the scissors and he's just, you know, that last piece of string, he's just working and working and putting the blade to it and cutting and cutting and cutting. And if it's only one string, there, there's not much left to go, it seems to me. Well, we don't have much longer before it gets really exciting and real so well some would argue that it already is exciting and real i mean this is but we're all able to still you know go about and do what we need to do and and live fairly normal lives but um yeah i would you need to start anticipating that that's probably going to change and it's going to change within all of our natural lives easily and at the rate things are going in rome um be be frosty and be ready for anything at any time be ready you know think about think about what you were doing on the morning of 9-11 and how everything just pivoted on that moment you we could have a any day any day could be a 9-11 or worse than way worse than 9-11 type pivot and you need to be ready for that you need to be detached from what you need to be detached from and have your priorities in order yeah, nine eleven was not a religious event. Not no. not in the sense of affecting, you know, eternal destinies, except for the three thousand or so who died that day. Right. But for the rest of us it was it was political. Yes. But it's it's a it's a cultural touchstone in the way that um Pearl Harbor was before that. That's what everybody remembered. You know, Pearl Harbor and then um, 9-11, and then I get, oh, and then the, I guess the Kennedy assassination would be the other thing. Not religious events, but pivot points, cultural touchstones. Um, but this next one, whenever it comes, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be supernatural. So I was, I was going backwards in my mind saying the, uh, the, the sinking of the main would have been the one before that, but I don't think anybody listening remembers that one. So probably not. Um, we're almost at two hours. I think we should wrap this one up. I think we should probably wrap her up. Yep. And like I said, we, there is so much content we didn't even get to. We might have to do another one of these Tuesday or Wednesday. So might be another one of these long episodes dropping again soon. But uh, until then, the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or anything else you want to send along is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for ends benefactors. At least one mass every single day. Uh, for everybody who's uh, a benefactor of, of Anne. And, of course, at least once a week is a Requiem Mass for everybody who died the previous week. We mentioned my friend Eric several times and the heroic uh, example he gave. He um, got that Mass this last week. So uh, please, please, please pray for these priests. They, they've they got a massive target on their souls, on, on their heads. Um, any Anything else that the, the, the enemies of God can use to identify these people, they're going after them. Yep. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Supernerd Media. Um, if you found something of value in this episode or previous episodes, you can send you can contact uh, me via supernerdmedia.com. 
And uh, obviously PayPal is still dead, and I have not set up a replacement for that yet. It's probably going to be after the first of the year. Uh, the reason for this is the, the big reason why PayPal killed my account is because uh, PayPal is starting to act more like a bank, and any of these these um, any of these companies that take donations, they have to be able to follow banking regulation laws. So I didn't set it up in a serious manner, and so I'm I'm going through the paperwork of setting up a proper LLC and all that other stuff. In the meantime. Uh, if you were to send something to the mailbox, which Richard or Mark did, then I could take care of it from there. So thank you, Richard. Thank you, Mark. And Matthew1720, I'll let you take care of that. Matthew1720, um, fasting, whatever you can do um, twice a week if you can. And then, of course, just daily in your in your daily rosary, in your daily prayer. Um, intention number one is that Bergoglio be public publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Ratzinger be publicly acknowledged as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision, and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repents of whatever he needs to repent of, dies in a state of grace and someday achieves the beatific vision likewise. Nothing less will do. Our Lady Undoer of Knots, pray for us. And we have some big, big knots to undo and mm -hmm. probably have some more to discuss in a few days. So until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>